0: to do your thing an unapologetic celebration of every version of motherhood I'm Tamsin Williamson, a life and mindset coach for mums, also known as the Parenthood Coach. And through this podcast, I'll be sharing some beautifully open, honest conversations with inspiring, passionate women who also happen to be mothers about how they loudly and proudly do their thing in life and motherhood in their own unique and authentic ways. Plus, I'll give you an insight into how I do my thing and what that means for me, my career, and family. I hope these conversations inspire you to feel the freedom to do your thing and embrace your version of motherhood in a way that feels aligned, empowering, and honours your whole self. This is your invitation to do your thing. So, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Do Your Thing. And during this week's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Emma Cossey, all about how she does her thing, navigating life and parenthood with ADHD. As well as being a mum, Emma is also a coach and mentor for freelancers. And Emma is also neurodivergent, diagnosed with ADHD in 2022. And her son, who is nine, also has ADHD. So therefore, everything that Emma does in life, business and parenthood is designed and adapted to be as dopamine friendly as possible to support the unique needs of both herself and her family. Through her coaching work, Emma also extends her expertise to support freelancers, many of whom are neurodivergent, to develop their businesses in alignment with the way their brains work. This conversation was fascinating and inspiring, and we talked about so much, including the challenges of letting go of neurotypical advice, especially when it comes to doing motherhood with ADHD. Emma shares how misunderstood she felt growing up without an ADHD diagnosis and how owning her neurodiverse and ADHD labels has massively enhanced her self-esteem, her professional aspirations and her relationship with her son. We also finished up having an unexpected juicy chat about the shame so commonly attached to not finding motherhood fulfilling, and Emma shared how her ADHD has offered her a welcome invitation to do parenthood her way. Okay, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. It's a good one. Welcome, Emma. It is so lovely to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. We've been chatting so much on Instagram and things like that. So it's lovely to actually have some proper chat time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we've been kind of circulating in similar circles for a while. So <laughs> yeah, really looking forward to having this conversation today. Um so to dive straight in, like as you know, this podcast is called Do Your Thing. So To start with, I would love to know what doing your thing looks like in your world right now. How would you describe or define it?
1: Yeah, no problem at all. Um, I mean, I think I was very, my my son's eight now, so I've got a few years into it now. But I was very much someone that fell into the trap of comparing myself to all the sort of Insta mums and how everything's looking and this perfect way of doing things. And actually, I think the one thing I like to do now is just find a way that works for me rather than what Instagram is telling me or what the books are telling me and, and what works for me and, you know, my son and my family. Um, and a big part of that is that I have ADHD and my son has ADHD and therefore a lot of the advice out there I was listening to was neurotypical advice. And unfortunately That wasn't working for us and I felt like I was failing or I wasn't getting it right or why couldn't I do this or why couldn't I be consistent? Why couldn't I stick to perfect routines? And it's because my brain is not wired for that, neither is my son's. And the one thing for me is learning what does work for us, what works for our brains, what Mm -hmm. makes us happy and us motivated and us get things done rather than trying to fit into the mold. Um, which I think is, sounds like it's what what your whole podcast is about, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think like ADHD in the picture or not, like that is such a challenge that so many mums encounter. But then to add that extra layer of complexity into the mix, yeah, I can imagine that, you know, that has certainly made things maybe a little bit more turbulent and, um, yeah, required a little bit more um thought about how you want to do things and how it's going to really suit and bring out the
1: best in you and your son. Yeah and I think you and I both know as coaches that the best advice someone can take is their own advice which is why you know with coaching you, you do work on what works for each individual person and I think this cut and paste idea is actually quite damaging for a lot of people um and they feel like failures and I definitely i think a lot of adhd especially i was only diagnosed last year so a lot of adhd women um have built up a lot of shame and guilt and feelings of being stupid or lazy these are all really common um and then when you lump parenthood in which already has all those layers in it it can be really really difficult whether you're you know a mum or dad or a parent or whatever your role is that can be really challenging when you're looking after a child and then also, trying to make sure that they've
0: got the best situation as well. Mm, yeah, I mean just just thinking about you having gone through such a large proportion of your parenthood journey so far, and you not having had a formal diagnosis. What what did that look like? Like un- unknowingly. Having ADHD and navigating this huge um like roller coaster that, you know, really turns your life upside down anyway when you become a parent.
1: What was that experience like? It was particular I think I I actually found the baby, year, the baby year quite um I was very lucky that I had a son who was very good sleeper. And generally I don't like using the word good child because it's it's not but, but he was a relatively easy child, I guess. And then he started moving and walking and he walked quite early on and he moved quite early on and he didn't stop and he's um we think because we haven't finished the process for diagnosis, but we 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 know he is ADHD um, he's either um, hyperactive or combined. So there's three types. there's hyperactive, which is the kind of traditional boy that you see and think of with ADHD. There is inattentive, which is what I have, which is the kind of the daydreamer, often the girls, but it's the ones that struggle with focus, um, getting things done, routine, and then combined who get the joyous combination of both. Um, And I found it very difficult with the inattentive side because I'm an introvert anyway, and I felt very overstimulated very quickly by all the running around, all the constant of being on the edge, being worrying about danger all the time. Um, and there were just a lot of elements there that were really difficult as an inattentive person. I had to have a lot of attention, a lot of focus all the time with a hyperactive child who really wanted to be out exploring and he's so wonderfully um, curious and courageous and making friends all the time and that I think around 18 months I think was when I found it most challenging and then I think around two or three I started to realize that he might have ADHD it's difficult because children automatically are having those characteristics of ADHD they just seemed more Mm. and as we got into school we realized he definitely did have it and that's when I was looking at all the symptoms and I was like oh, hang on, these ones these ones apply to me. And I think because um, you think of ADHD as that hyperactive little boy, and I always was very low energy, very tired all the time. Um, I couldn't focus on things, but I thought that was because I was tired all the time. And it turned out I was not physically hyperactive, but my brain was very hyperactive. And I don't think it's until I tried medication last year, I still am on it that I realized how hyperactive my brain was when I took that first tablet. And I was like, oh, so I don't need to have 20 things going on in my head at the same time. Mm. So I was, I was tired and drained from how hyperactive my brain was. Wow. And medication has been incredible and diagnosis has been incredible because it has allowed me to go, no, you're not stupid. You're not lazy. You're not um, failing as a mum." you were trying to do all of this and trying to fit into a neurotypical mold. And now we're going to do things differently. We're going to look at this situation and go, how can I make this more ADHD friendly? So understanding that when you have ADHD, you don't have much dopamine in your brain. Dopamine motivates you to do things. And when you do get the dopamine, it doesn't process it very well. So it goes out very quickly, which is why dopamine and ADHD is often are interested in lots of different things and then they move on and they've got another hobby and then they move on and they because the dopamine runs out and understanding that made me realize i need to reframe my tasks to create more dopamine for my body so i need to make boring tasks fun novel um deadline based which is the one most people use Mm -hmm. um or use things like body doubling and then it just it became so much easier when instead of thinking, why can't I do this? I could just think, how am I going to do this a different way that works my brain?
0: Mm.
1: I can't remember if that actually answered your question. <laughs> but um, hopefully that gave some insights for that bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's answered so many questions and there's so much in what you've just talked about that I would love to kind of dig into, but just really understanding that process that you went through is so interesting. And there's something kind of really beautiful, and maybe It's easy for me to say that from a a very much an outsider's perspective, but the fact that you were almost able to understand yourself better through kind of looking at what your son was going through, through kind of working with him on his development and suddenly being like, oh my gosh, I now understand myself that little bit better. Like there's something that feels very beautiful about that whole process.
1: Yeah, and I can, I could be so much more compassionate now as well. I know when, when he was running around and I just felt so like exhausted and overwhelmed and like I just wanted to curl up. Um, now I could be like, no, his body needs to run out this energy now. What can I do to make this situation more comfortable for me and mean that he gets his needs met? And there's a lot of things in our house which are designed to meet more of our neurodivergent needs. There are ways that we built the house so that there's like always chargers available to everybody. So that it makes it really easy because we are people that if we don't see it, it doesn't exist. So all of our storage is clear so that it makes it really easy for people to see what they've got. All of our snacks are really easy to see and access because if we don't see them, we won't remember them. We won't want them to eat. So almost making everything as easy as possible because we, we don't, we can't rely on our memories. Mm, so if if we it's um i'm trying to remember what the name is but object permanence so we probably have more things out than the average house because if we don't see it we'll forget it so um there's lots of little tweaks that we've just designed that help me and him um my husband's a bit more um he's not he's not got our, our kind of like butterfly brains <laughs> He's a bit more like an organized bee, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it has to work for all of us as well. And there's definitely been adapting. But um, yeah, it's definitely been it's easier to be compassionate. And the actually the other interesting thing is you see other kids at school who are getting their diagnosis, and they have parents who you can see probably are neurodivergent as well, but they have no idea because they don't know about the signs and things. And you can see that they are. Struggling and beating themselves up because they can't relate to their child, or they're struggling. But you also know that they're being so unkind to themselves because they don't understand how their own brain works. Mm.
0: And and I think that's something. It's something that I'm quite aware of as well. I'm, I'm aware of the conversation being so much more prominent now than maybe it was. Maybe because I'm a parent, and you know, maybe it's just much more of the time and the generation that i'm living in at the moment i don't know but i i see a lot of um shame attached as well to the potential of a diagnosis you know people may be sort of batting it off and saying no 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 they're just you know that's just how they are or not wanting to know because somehow you know it feels like a bad thing but the way that you're talking about this here like it sounds like what it's done is it's brought so much more um as you said compassion so much more understanding it's allowed you to find ways to bring so much more ease into your lives
1: i think as well there are so yeah there's definitely a lot of going well oh, you don't need labels etc cetera, etc cetera. having that label helped completely change my life and really helped me speak more kindly to myself and do some more things some of the more positive things people with adhd often have a really strong sense of justice they have stronger levels of empathy um you'll often find like a lot of the tech companies are often led by people with adhd because they are problem solvers we uh, often if we are trying new software and things like that we'll find bugs first because we explore everything and we we want to see what can be improved so a lot of ADHDs are fixers and inventors lots of adhds are not necessarily finishers i'm definitely not and that's helped me in life and business to understand you know I need to outsource and hire a cleaner because it's just not something I'm good at. Uh, I have a VA who helps me with finishing work because I'm not always great at doing that. So I think it is really important to understand all the great things about ADHD and also like autism or even your diversity covers dyslexia, dyspraxia, um, dyscalculia. I can never say that one right, but also things like anxiety and depression. Um, There's such a wide range of things it covers and I think embracing some of, not necessarily depression or anxiety, but some of the other ones, some of the benefits and some of the wonderful traits it brings is really important as well. That's not to downplay some of the challenges, but um, yeah, I think there are a lot of wonderful things it brings as well. Mm,
0: yeah. And and I think being able to take that more positive outlook to like embrace yourself. I mean, I was going to ask you, you know, the the way that you're kind of describing, for example, reframing tasks um, and being able to rather than say, oh, I can't do this. I'm not good at doing this. Instead, looking for the solution or how can I, you know, find a way that's going to work for me to do this. Is that an approach or an outlook that you've always had in life or Is this something that's kind of shifted for you as you've gone on this journey?
1: I've always been a fixer, like always trying to find, and I think it's like a constant search for the perfect fix that's going to make everything better. Um, So there's definitely been an element of that. Even I remember having my son, before I had him, creating like baskets of all the things that I would need in lots of different corners of the house so that I knew I would always have things um, close by. and as a freelancer, I think there's a natural element of being a fixer. Um, and actually probably one of the reasons aside from being a parent that you're hearing a lot about it is because a lot of self employed people are are neurodivergent and particularly ADHD. So there's a little bit of an echo chamber there, I think as well, that we hear a lot more about it because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I've always been a fixer, but now it's more from a place of, like a proactive, okay, how can I make this better? Rather than, oh, I need something that's going to fix this for me. For me. Why can't I do it properly? So it's it's a kind of voice.
0: Mm. And it feels like a really kind of, it, feels, it sounds very
1: creative, what you're talking
0: about as well. It sounds like it's sort of bringing a lot of creativity into your experience of life and, and the experience of parenthood as well, that you're
1: creating for your son. Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll find a lot of ADHDers are quite fun-loving and not um childish, but childlike in that they enjoy finding the fun and the silly things to do. Um uh, Yeah, like we do a lot of like timer challenges and things like that to get things done in our house. If you want to, if I want to get my son dressed, I need to set a timer challenge, like who's going to get dressed, dressed first? So yeah, there definitely is a lot of creativity and I I never felt I was a creative person because I'm not artistic or anything like that mm. but you discover that sometimes your brain has other ways to be creative. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think more and more there's this, you know, it's 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 not about traditional creativity necessarily. Even like creating this podcast for me, I found it actually such a creative experience even though it's not sort of traditionally creative in the way that some might have have believed it would be. Um and how much does your son, how much is your son aware of him, his ADHD of sort of the challenges that he faces? How much do you kind of share with him? Yeah,
1: I think we we do have some good conversations about it. I, I've always been a, um, quite clear with him that it is, um, it's a reason but not an excuse. So there is um, having ADHD, is the reason why something's more challenging why this is more difficult it's not an excuse to just go i'm not gonna do it or i'm not gonna and and i am also very aware of privilege in that um he is adhd but he is quite a people pleaser so actually we're quite fortunate that he puts a lot of that effort into pleasing the teachers and things like that and getting his head down um And whereas I know uh, PDA, which is essentially it's more about um, being a bit rebellious against anybody telling you what to do, Um, that's a really common side effect of um, ADHD, and so is uh, rejection sensitivity disorder, which is where you're very sensitive to any kind of rejection, Um, and it really it can physically hurt some ADHD people to be rejected or have uh, criticism and things like that. So there are lots of other factors to play. Um, so I'm kind of just trying to build up his confidence as much as I can celebrate his wins, um, and explain some of the good aspects and, and also talk about like I try and show him like examples of ADHD people doing really well in life or, um, doing exciting things and yeah, I try to do that, but also very much, um, honest, you know, I find like if I'm finding something challenging, someone with ADHD. I try and explain that to him and almost explain the process of what I'm gonna to do to overcome that, to kind of model that behavior a little bit. Yeah. And that and and as he gets
0: older, I imagine that is just gonna be invaluable to 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 recognize the gifts that come with his uniqueness in himself, but also to it be all it's it's okay to find things difficult you know, face those challenges. But, you know, it sounds like also the really solution focused approach that you take, you know, it's not like this is a problem. And so I'm, I'm screwed. (laughs) It's, it's actually, this is a, this is difficult. This is hard, but
1: how can I find my way through this? And I know, I think it's setting the foundations now because I know In secondary school, it's going to be harder because everything is so much more focused on memory and retaining information. And that's where the ADHD brain is not as great. Um, So that's going to be more challenging. And uh, so I'm trying to get as many good foundations in place now because that is going to be a lot more challenging at that point. Um, And I know for myself, I used to get great grades for coursework because I could write well. But my exams let me down because my memory is shocking. Um, and it is a frustrating system, but it I, I understand why the system has to be there. It has to cater for a large group of people and you and you're a, a diverse community, not just ADHD people or that. Yeah. And
0: and I, it just makes me think of so many grown ups who are very recently discovering that they have ADHD, that they're neurodiverse. And, you know the challenges that must have been experienced growing up and, you know, teenage years, being at school, like, you know, those hurdles that must have felt just so difficult to overcome because you didn't understand what was going on. Um, I can imagine, you know, actually, this is such an amazing opportunity for our kids, you know, to really get the help that they need and to think about what actually what a positive impact that might have on their futures as well.
1: Yeah, I I think we are very fortunate. That there's so much more education now about it, but um, I'm also aware we're going to have a bit of an uphill battle. So um, to try and approach that with as much positivity as possible um, is really important. But I think as well, when you do get diagnosed later in life, it almost allows you to like revisit that version of you as a teenager or uh, particularly for me at university. And you know, almost like imagine saying to that version of you, it's okay. You're not it's not that you're failing at being a grown-up or anything like that. Just you're reading the wrong guidebook. Mm. Yeah.
0: And that's it must be such a liberating experience to be able to shed some of that. Yeah the stuff that might have like weighed you down in the past and actually be like, no, like, you know, there's a different way. There's another way of getting to do life. that feels yeah, so much think, more like you.
1: Yeah. Just being able to let go of the term failure, I think, is a big thing. Um, yeah. And the more as a society that we, start to embrace ADHD and some of the great things because the fact that so many people in say the prison system and things like that are ADHDers and they're undiagnosed or un uh on and I'm not saying medication is the way for everybody, but they don't have the support is why often that ends up happening. And I just think if we re- if we do better with this next generation, that would be an incredible gift to give. Mm. Yeah. And it, it
0: makes me like it bring it fills me with a lot of like relief in a lot of in a lot of ways and a lot of gratitude, based on where we've got to. Yes, there's more work to do, but certainly feeling like we're on the right path for sure. And of course, you you do a lot of work uh, with other ADHDers, don't you? Tell us a, tell us a bit about what it is
1: that you do and how you bring your
0: experiences into the work
1: yeah so I'm a coach for freelancers and I've been doing that for well, I've been freelance since 2009 and coaching since 2015 but um a big thing for me is to make freelancing as accessible as possible to as many people as possible it's still not I, and I'm working with some universities and I know there are others doing that as well now in getting that message out there but I think unknowingly I was probably creating content for other h years the whole time in that all of the content I've done is always been and all the resources have always been about quick and easy wins, building momentum, because that's a really key thing um, and making things easy and accessible. and. Yeah, my freelance community is full of like people who have chronic health conditions, or there's a big chunk of them that are parents, but also those that are carers for maybe elderly people. So generally it's people who need flexibility. And that is quite a key thing for ADHDS. Yes. So and I'm I'm also a big believer that if you make things better for the ADHD community, it actually makes it better for everybody because the the content or whatever you're creating is then more accessible to everyone. And neurotypical people still benefit a lot from content that is designed for adhd people because it's more fun and it's it's more accessible um so yeah my big driver is to make freelancing as accessible as possible whether you are Mm. apparently uh a carer someone with a chronic health condition or neurodivergent
0: yeah i love that and and you know this kind of theme of this podcast do your thing like it feels like what you're doing and the way that you're supporting people it really kind of aligns with that so well like really inviting people to find their way to work for themselves and make it work around who they are and what's going on in their lives so yeah i can totally get behind that <laughs> <laughs> what um what what difference did becoming a freelancer make to your life um, like professionally, what were you doing before you went out to work for yourself?
1: Yeah, so I, I finished university a few years before. Um, and I went into a job in recruitment where um I I just wasn't training it. Largely because it's all about systems and momentum and doing the same things every day, um and sales as well, but a bit more pushy sales. And I always found in every job I had, I was well liked, but I wasn't necessarily, um, doing the job in the, it wasn't out for laziness or anything like that. I just never seemed to be able to get it right. Uh, I then went on to a job in HR, um, which unfortunately there was quite a nasty atmosphere in the HR department. Um, and ended up leaving that job, joining Twitter this was back in the glory days of 2009 for was X or whatever it is. When people are listening to this. Um, and I ended up landing two internships with, um, a couple of, um, online websites in London. And um, so I'm based in Bracknell, so about an hour and a half journey in. And those internships led to me getting my first editorial assistant job, which was freelance. And I had no idea what freelancing was, I was incredibly lucky to have an editor that walked me through the whole process. She very much took me under her wing. And for the first time, I was doing a job where I was praised and I was told I was doing a great job and I knew I was doing a great job and I could work from home. And I had always felt so overwhelmed by everything going on in an office and I didn't understand the systems they set up because they made no sense to me. Whereas freelancing meant I could create my own systems there's an element of with freelancers that, uh, with clients that you're using their systems as well. But that was exciting because I could learn and adapt it and find a way to do it. And just everything suddenly became a way of me doing things that I, I loved. It was interesting because ADHD is like interest motivated, not importance motivated, but I was still hitting on my targets, my deadlines. I was doing really well and that just carried on. And I just, I, I always felt so lucky because I don't think if I hadn't gone freelance, I think I would have just had such low self esteem from always feeling like I was terrible at what I did. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I feel like I'm really good at what I do because I'm in control. Yeah. And this, in this sense of
0: like the anti failure <laughs> approach yeah. and finding, you know, just as you said before, it was almost like you were just like living your life from the wrong guidebook and yeah. suddenly finding this new guidebook that you were like oh wow i get to like do this in a completely different way i get to design this in a way that works for me and it works like you know to be to be able to um have that sense of of control and influence over the way that you're living your life and then i'm i'm imagining once you then become a parent you know for some people I know that the idea of like working for themselves and you know being a parent that can feel hugely overwhelming but from your perspective how how was that transition um kind of making those two puzzle pieces fit together
1: yeah it's an interesting one you know it's not it's never as simple as oh I'll have the baby this time and I will do the work this time. I'll do the work after they finish bedtime. It's never, I think one of the big things you learn as a parent is nothing is ever clear cut anymore. It's always, you have to have massive flexibility because um, bedtime might not go well or they'll fall sick. And that happens a lot in the early years as well. Um, But I definitely found about six weeks in, bored. (laughs) I I loved being his mum. But I didn't feel I didn't feel fulfilled by it, and I know that's a bit of a, a taboo thing to say. But I, my work fulfills me because it feeds my self esteem. It makes me feel great. I, I feel like I'm doing such a great job, and I think also the effort you put into your work shows. Whereas sometimes as a parent. It doesn't matter how much effort you put in. There are things outside your control um, and that can be really challenging. And I think there's, and it's something I've talked to a few people about. There's this belief that being uh, particularly a mother should be fulfilling enough. And I, I'm not saying work has to be the fulfilling p- thing for people, but I think it's okay if you feel fulfilled outside being a parent, if that makes sense.
0: It absolutely makes sense. And it resonates with me completely. And, you know, we are multifaceted humans. Um, you know, there's so many different layers to who we are and what lights us up and, and, you know, to have that sort of variety and to honor those different desires that we have in ourselves you know, I think it's, in a way, it's the most natural thing in the world. The problem is, is many of us uh, hold ourselves back from doing that, or we tell ourselves that, you know, we shouldn't, particularly when it comes to parenthood. So, you know, I kind of really celebrate the honesty in, in what you've just said then. And, you know, I would guess that, you know, those words will resonate with a lot of other people, even if they haven't dared to admit it. Do you, do you think that having ADHD and, you know, as you said, like, you know, you get bored, you get bored easily. Do you think that that has kind of accentuated that desire or that recognition that actually you can't put all your eggs, your fulfillment eggs into the parenthood basket? Do you think that that's sort of amplified that for you further?
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's one element of always feeling like you're on the outside a little bit anyway. So you get used to it. And then you're a bit like embracing not doing what everyone says and not doing it that way. Uh, I think my diagnosis definitely helped in that I kind of was able to put to pee, um Like even things I saw on a Facebook group yesterday, someone was saying about they've really struggled to play with their child. Their child was like three years old and they just found it so painfully boring. And I felt so much guilt about that. And then now I'm I look back and go well it, it is boring it's it is boring like it's it's easier now with an eight year old like we play Nintendo all sorts and I think there's a lot of guilt that gets tied into that um, but yeah I think it I think it partly being freelance that allowed me to be like. You know, it's not selfish to actually enjoy work and seeing the impact and things like that. Um, And it is probably an element of the ADHD thing of being used to being on the outside and being a bit more, I don't know, allowing yourself to not have to fit the mould. And I think that
0: is such an important lesson for anybody to take away actually you know those shoulds that comparison those you know the perceived judgments or the assumptions that we might make about what other people are doing or what other people think of us that can be so unhelpful and can actually send us on a really on a path that can just feel so out of alignment yeah and you know, I suppose what what you do and what you've done and what you're kind of inspiring your son to do is ultimately to come back to what makes you unique, what makes you special, what your wants, needs, desires are, and kind of curating that experience of life that matches who you are on the inside. And actually, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the work that I do with my clients as well. Um, you know, there is no one version of parenthood like there is no cookie cutter <laughs> version of what your life needs to look like or should look like you know look inside and and follow those cues um so yeah i think that's a really powerful message and i think you know fulfillment makes such a massive difference to our experience of all parts of our lives right it makes a massive experience to how we feel professionally how we feel in our kind of personal relationships, friendships, as parents, of course, and and beyond that. Um, so, yeah, to neglect it, I think, is doing
1: ourselves a massive disservice. Um, I think as well, if you, I think the whole feeling of it's selfish to do that, but it's actually not selfish to put yourself first and try and do that because, you're then a happy person which makes you a happier parent which makes you a better parent um and i think if you carry on just not putting you not allowing yourself any fulfillment and anything like that then it's not going to make anyone else happier Mm -hmm. um and kids want to see their parents happy and it's amazing to be able to set that example to your kids that this makes me excited this i'm really proud of doing this you probably do something similar where you share with your kids like moments of gratitude or, or things like that and to be able to have your own things to add to that is incredible yeah yeah and it will inspire them
0: it yeah. will inspire them to like realize that that's possible even um yeah I love that and this is yeah this is this is a. I feel like we could like have another whole episode of this podcast <laughs> just talking about this topic so maybe we'll have to do that in future um but yeah that's So much food for thought in in that and in everything that that you've shared today. To finish up this conversation, I'd love to get a sense from you around what you would advise or a top piece of advice that you might share with somebody that was listening, who maybe is struggling with some of the um, symptoms that Uh, You've described who might have a suspicion that perhaps they might have ADHD, they might be on the spectrum, maybe they're thinking about their child. If they wanted to take one step forward to navigating life alongside parenthood, what would you say would be the kind of first step that they could take to embracing
1: doing their thing? I think. Actually, it's a really simple question to ask yourself, which is how can I make this easier? So with everything in your life, rather than thinking, how can I do this the proper way? How can I do this? How can I make um, motherhood or parenthood easier? How can I make, even just down to the tiniest things, like how can I make changing an nappy easier? You know, it's the, these little habits of making little things easier are what gonna are gonna create a better system for you and also get you in, into a better habit of thinking? Um, why can't I do this? Just how can I make this easier for me? Mm. How can I make this simpler for me? How can I take some of the stress of this off me? But just generally thinking, how can I make this? What's the easiest thing I can do with this? Mm. Even down to like if you are feeling completely overwhelmed with. Eating and food and all that kind of thing. What kind of snacks can I get in that are nutritious and fill me up and that kind of thing that will make my life easier? Um, I would obviously always recommend as well going and speaking to somebody, going down potentially down the route of being diagnosed. But one small thing is just asking that question: How can I make this easier for myself?
0: Mm, yeah, what a great question, and and it's really important, I think, when you answer that question. That it's not feeling the pressure to come up with like this full, all singing, all dancing, multi layered solution. Actually, it's just the first step. Like, what would help me feel 1% better in this moment? What would help this situation feel 1% easier in this moment? Because that small step is always going to contribute to a sense of progress, a sense of growth. And then you know you might build your confidence to feel ready to then take another step forward.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a really good TikTok called Casey Davis, who wrote a book called um How to Keep House When You're Drowning, um, which was about housework initially, but she had her own diagnosis and things. But she the things that she gave permission for were just such it was almost like she wrote a permission slip to say to somebody you don't have to fold kids pajamas just throw them in the drawer they don't need folded pajamas they're going to sleep in them but it's almost like oh yeah i don't or um even like she said oh if you're having a really difficult week get some paper plates i know it's not always my ethical um, approach but sometimes you have gotta have a week where you use paper plates you know i think having a look at her stuff might help as well giving that permission slip
0: Mm, I'll definitely look that up and I'll pop the details into the show notes. Thank you so much for joining um, us today, for joining me today for this conversation. It's been so brilliant. And if um, people would like to follow you, would like to find out about the work that you do, um, what's the best place for people to find you?
1: Yeah, no problem. So, um, instagram is always a great place to start um I'm at emma cossey on there um my website's freelancelifestyle.co.uk you can also find my courses So i've got ones that are how to get started as a freelancer um, how to find clients lots of different things there um and i have a lovely facebook group called the freelance lifestylers um and it's I don't know the percentage, but there is a very good chunk of ADHDers and um, those with autism and um, neurodiverse. It's a very neurodiverse group, very kind and welcoming and supportive. Amazing. That sounds brilliant.
0: And I can imagine without stop- restarting a new conversation that finding like, like-minded like people and people on the journey, a similar journey to you, can make such a massive difference to how like yeah. supported and understood that you feel along the way as well, whether that's in motherhood, whether that's in self employment. So um, yeah, that sounds like a great place to go and hang out. Um, Thank you. Well, it's been gorgeous to speak to you. And yeah, let's do it again sometime. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Do Your Thing. If you enjoyed what you heard, It would mean the absolute world if you could take a moment or two to do one or all of the following small things, which could make a mega difference to the success of this podcast. Follow and subscribe to do your thing, which means you'll never miss an episode. Rate or review the podcast or share the podcast with a friend who you think would enjoy listening to. And if you'd like to continue the conversation or explore working with me on a deeper level, you can connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at The Parenthood Coach or join my email community, The Parenthood Retreat. Just go to theparenthoodcoach.co.uk forward slash newsletter. And remember, there's no right or wrong way to do life or parenthood. There's only your way. So get out there and do your thing unapologetically. See you next time.